Hey, it's Vaughn here. Thank you for listening. This is a very special series that I've created just for you. I want to take you on an idea journey. I want you and I to examine why we do what we do, how to level up, how to reach our fullest potential, and ideas that'll just inspire you, that'll keep you going when things seem the gloomiest and the darkest. So please enjoy these episodes, which I hold near and dear to my heart, and I hope some of these ideas help you. We are the dance nerds, the outliers, the ones who are addicted to reaching the next level. This is a unique podcast blending the artistry of mastery, both on and off the dance floor. Upbeat, fun, in-depth, and thought-provoking. This won't just develop your Borum and Latin American dancing. This will set your life on fire. I will give you personal stories, empowering ideas, technical dance aspects, mindset growth development, and much, much more. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe with anyone you care about, and also visit borumastery.tv. Let's dance. Have you got a question for me? I would love to hear from you and include it on the show as an audio message. Head over to danceraf.com and then smash the message button and shoot me your question. I'll add it into one of the episodes if it fits, and I would love to know what I could help you with. Head over to danceraf.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Dancer as you know the end of that one. Welcome, everybody. It's Vaughn here. Awesome to have you. Okay. Cold showers, chocolate, and cocaine. Come on now. What are we talking about? I am going to ask you a question. Do you struggle with performance and maintaining momentum? You're going to want to stay around for this episode. I'm probably going to butcher it because I'm going to go into some neuroscience of which I am not a neuroscientist, but I've been really digging Huberman podcast. He is a Stanford University professor of neuroscience, and he has a podcast that has unbelievable content about the brain. So if you'd like to know more about this, check out the show notes, check him out, listen to what he has to say about how dopamine works and how it affects our performances in life and our motivation. And of course, drives us generally. So there's a lot of misinformation out there about dopamine, about what it means. But essentially, you know, when you feel good, dopamine. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today and how that relates to maintaining momentum and increasing it, accelerating towards where you want to go. Because irrelevant of your sort of aims in dance, this is going to be applicable to your entire life journey. And so part of this series is the things that that are going to help you get the most out of your time, the most out of your activities, the most out of your life. So thanks for tuning in. Let's get into the content straight away. But like I said, I'm probably going to butcher this. So, you know, I wouldn't quote me as being a neuroscientist on this. I just want to work through some of the basic things that help you and I to, uh, increase that level of uh, exposed motivation for ourselves. Now, one of the first things that stood out to me, and I listened to a lot of these lectures, I was 
recently painting my house, which I thought in a million years I would never do. So this is like wild for me. But I wanted to challenge myself, get it done. We we're in a lockdown state. I figured something healthy to do. And I love podcasts. And one of the things that's always intrigued me is, I suppose, our brains. Because why do we do what we do, right? And why do some people do things differently to me? And why do some people do differently to you? That made no sense, but you get what I'm saying. So what makes us? And so part of what we need to think about is that there are quote unquote normal brains, and then there are deviations from that. Okay. And so psychology, psychiatry, look towards, I suppose, the behaviors and I suppose a lot of the unobservable things you know, mindsets are part of this, I suppose, as well. It's very complex when we start getting into, say, cognitive psychology and those type of things. So I'm referring to here, the actual, like, mechanics of your brain. Like, so one of the first things that stood out to me when I was listening to these lectures and these, well, they weren't lectures, that's not a good word, these high quality information that I couldn't believe I was even able to listen to for free without going to a university, he was talking about you and I have a baseline level of dopamine. Now, this is the first thing to understand. We don't get dopamine hits. So that's a misnomer to say we get a hit of dopamine. So dopamine is always existing in our brain, unless you've had something terrible happen to you and it's wiped out completely, which just doesn't happen really to anyone, unless they're in that very small percentage of people. The point being is that we have a baseline. Now, this is really cool to understand. We have a baseline. So it's not like you need to release more of it, quote unquote, or you need to get a hit. You actually just have it there all the time at a baseline. And then we get spikes in it, or you know, we, we get a rise in, in it by, say, a percentage point. Now, what I thought was really awesome to understand is that when you have chocolate, and they didn't test what type of chocolate it was. But when you have chocolate, your baseline is the, let's say it's at, at, at a certain level, like 100, you have a percentage increase of 150% more dopamine after that. So that's cool to know, right? So you have a piece of chocolate and you get a spike. So now what? You feel better. But what people don't talk about, because a lot of people are familiar with the term dopamine, but what is often missed out is that there is pain that is also um, that also happens straight after you have that chocolate, a bit of a release. So you get this effect of, you know, you got pleasure, but you also get a bit of pain. The pain makes you want to eat more chocolate. So that is interesting. Now you have more chocolate, but do you get the same amount of rise in the feel good dopamine? No, you don't. So you're constantly eating more chocolate, but you're getting less of a feel good from it. Now think about that for a second. You got a baseline, you have some chocolate, you get a rise by about 150% and then it drops down and you start to feel a bit of pain which makes you wanna eat more and you try to get that feeling back but you don't. This is one of the reasons why people who are addicted to drugs are always seeking that first initial high. It's amazing, right? So now, if you have a cold shower, I think it's around 14 degrees centigrade and I think they measured it on the body only for about an hour you get about 250% of an increase in dopamine and it lasts a long time. So of course you have the adrenaline released from the shock of the cold, but that wears off. And then you have the remaining uh, feeling like hovering there. And I can attest to this because I, I intermittently have cold showers and I can really say it's a good thing to do. Now intermittent we'll come back to in a second, but stay with me here because that's a bigger increase than having chocolate and it lasts longer. 
Now, one of the things though, so it's hovering above the baseline. Cocaine is up at that 250% level as well. What? So like having a cold shower and some chocolate, that's a good idea, right? Having cocaine, probably not a good idea, you know? But that initial hit, boof, you can't go back. Now, here's what's crazy. You got to understand this. And I am seeking to understand this. So I am by no means an authority here. But we remember the baseline. So when you have this spike, we often hear about a crash, right? Okay, so we're not talking about a sugar crash. We're talking about a crash in dopamine. So we actually drop below our baseline. Now, this is an amazing thing about our brain. So you don't come back to the baseline, you actually drop below it. I thought this was so standout. Um, for really a main reason, because one of the examples given was think about if we were in like in a cave, we wake up in the morning and, you know, we dopamine is present. We sort of meander our way through the morning routine and we feel a little bit good, but we want to feel a lot better. Why? Because we need food. So, the, so we get a little spike even thinking about it. And this is what's crazy. Just the wanting of the thing can increase your dopamine. So the wanting of competing, the wanting of performing better, you can instantly get a, a, a rise or a spike in dopamine, yeah? Just by thinking about it. The wanting produces that, so you act. All right, so this is important for building momentum, right? Because part of what happens is we want to know, okay, I want to get out of the cave, go get some food. So a spike in dopamine can do that. Now I'm thinking about food, it's increasing that feeling. And then I go out and act upon it. I go and get food. Now, if I get miss a kill or I miss my my target, that is part of the process, right? Because you don't you don't kill everything you aim at, all right? You don't hit every goal you go for, and that's important for dopamine, right? Because you think you're going to get it, but you don't. And ah, oh, so now you want it a little bit more. And then when you get it, it's extremely rewarding. So the kill itself brings the, your level of dopamine higher. But then what happens? It goes below the baseline. Why? Because if it went back to the baseline, and this is what's crazy, you wouldn't be as motivated to go back out and bring it up again. Now think about that for a second. So when you like hit a goal, you get a spike in dopamine, but then it drops below your normal baseline and you feel bad. How interesting is that? Why do we feel bad? It, we actually feel bad literally because in our brain, we have less dopamine than we're used to. And it's like we're missing something and we do something to bring it back up. Maybe that's something unhealthy like cocaine or something unhealthy like binging out on foods or high sugar content uh, calories that are just smashing your receptors and poof, you've got dopamine hitting you and you're spiking, spiking, then crashing, crashing. So maybe it's unhealthy habits that are doing this, right? And so one of the, the other standout notes about this was that, okay, so let's just refresh here. You have a baseline of dopamine. It will spike depending on the activity. The percentage amount depends on what you do, exercise and chocolate versus say methamphetamines, you know, which have a thousand percent increase, which explains why it's so addictive. But then you have a crash, don't you? And so that crash takes you down below the baseline. Okay, so we're in a constant state all the time of these dopamine releases and then you know crashing and then coming back up to the baseline. So have you ever felt worn out, right? And too over the top. Now, not just from adrenaline and having that that you know bad, you know, there's good stress and bad stress. So I'm not talking about crashing all the time, but sometimes we are in a state of constantly um, releasing and having more dopamine come out from every activity we do all the time. And then we're trying to do more of that activity to get more of the same, but we're not getting it. 
So it's like we're addicted to trying to get it up, up, up. And what happens is then you deplete yourself and then you can't get to that same state. So an example of this, and the way a lot of people approach this is it's varied and different for each of us, right? But let's look at how we get used to releasing dopamine. And think of it like this. Have you ever had an experience and you could have been going to a dance competition and then the dance competition, you you obviously there might be nerves and that's a whole different thing, but you finish the competition, no matter how you felt, you felt good at the end and then bang, you felt really down after it. Well, that's common. And then maybe you did the same. You went to the gym. You're excited about going to the gym. You went to the gym, you did the activity and then you crashed and you felt bad afterward. And then the next day you were unlikely to go back in the dance studio and train and you're unlikely to go into the gym and train, right? Because of that feeling. Well, that's dopamine. And what happens is if you release, say, I'm not sure if the wording's right, but it's releasing too much, right? So if you, if you get too much of a high out of it, then you're going to be less motivated to want to do it again. And so one of the really important things for my message today is understanding the importance of intermittent dopamine fasting. <laughs> you don't fast dopamine, but you get the idea. It's intermittent releasing. So let me give you some, some clear-cut examples of what about I've, I've been doing and feeling in the last uh, so seven to 10 days since understanding this, a little, a little light, you know, scratching the surface of this. You know, this guy is like Blackpool champion level world champion neuroscientist, and I am first dance lesson neuro understanding, okay? So that's the gap. But it made a lot of sense to me because I remember vividly having these ups and downs that were sort of out of control. And I'm a highly enthusiastic person. So here's what you've got to realize is that your baseline level of dopamine is extremely different to mine. And that's not good or bad, but have you ever been around someone who's like just sad, like a sad sack Johnny? Like they're just so unmotivated to do anything. Like they just, you, and you can't fire them up. Well, they have a very low baseline level of dopamine. doesn't mean they don't have it. It's just lower than maybe yours. And so they, that automatically makes them a little different. And so the way they get it out, maybe it's video games, maybe you dance. So you have a healthier relationship with releasing dopamine than someone else who's just playing video games, who then gets massive highs and then crashes quite quickly. And so one of the important things to maintaining momentum and maintaining, because momentum is part of what? It's part of accelerating, okay? It's part of moving forward. But why don't we move forward? Well, sometimes we feel so down and crashed out and we're burned out that we actually can't keep going because we've just, we're depleting ourselves so much. And so part of maintaining momentum is to have a more constant state of, say, dopamine releasing or not releasing as much wildly and then crashing so hard, right? Because we will always go back down below that baseline. So, you know, having too much caffeine, whether it comes from tea or other things, and, and the, the sources do matter too. So I won't go into the science because that's up to the scientists. But what I'll bring to you as, as an idea and information is the way you get your dopamine out matters, okay? Obviously. So if you have methamphetamine and you get that massive thousand percent spike over your baseline and then you crash below it, then to get back up again, you're using really unhealthy mechanisms to get that dopamine hit. But it's also too much. It's too taxing. And you, let's say you have chocolate, but then the chocolate reward also brings you pain. And so you don't necessarily have the um, impetus to continue eating chocolate anyway, because it's not going to deliver the same thing. And this brings me to my point of the fasting side, the inter, well, not the fasting, the intermittent release. So you might get it from chocolate one day, you won't get it the next the same way. So going to the gym one day won't bring it the same way the next. 
And you have felt this in every area of your life as well. You've felt this before for sure. Like you've gotten the trophy and it felt empty afterwards. Why? Well, the dopamine reward wasn't as big as what you thought it would be maybe leading up to it, which is often what happens with, with, with what I've experienced anyway. So if we think of it like this, if you go to the gym and you haven't been for a week, it will feel amazing. Yeah. And then what? Well, maybe you're at the gym listening to music. So the connection of the music releases more of that feel good uh, dopamine. And then your workout itself does it. And so like you crushed your goals, you're feeling great. And then the next day you might be sore, but then let's say you work out the same way again, you won't necessarily get the same level above your baseline again. Now that's interesting. So what happens is you've got to add variety in. So if you go to train in the dance studio, you don't want to do it the same way every time, every day. Even if you're in the studio every day, which is an amazing feat in itself, you won't get the same reward. And that stood out to me. The rewards are what we're we're getting. You know, we feel good. That's a good, that's a reward. All right. So, but why don't we feel the same reward for doing the same activity? Ah, because you get used to it. So we have to make sure we know, all right, maybe today we'll reverse the order. I'll I'll do 30 minutes solo training to music and then I'll dance with you. And then the next day, maybe it's just, we just basics, you know, that's all we do. Then the next day, maybe we just decide to, um, to talk a little bit more and to, to maybe just ease into it and not go so hard. Maybe the next day it's like, we don't talk and we do all 10 dances to music for an hour and we don't leave until we finish all of them and we sweating our faces off. Right. But you can't train like that every day. Um, for various reasons, but let's just talk about dopamine here because you won't get the same reward and you won't be incentivized to continue to do it that way. Now, it's a lot of information. And like I said, I'm scratching the surface, but check out the Huberman podcast because that's where you'll really get more of an understanding, clear up some of the, the butchering I've probably done on this idea. But just remember, you have a baseline. You're going to get rewarded no matter what you do. Some things are better than others. So having caffeine from tea uh, and then having caffeine from coffee there's differences in that, in how it's released and how much is how much is created from that, so to speak. Um, having a cold shower can definitely raise that level and sustain it longer. So something sustain it longer. Now, the last thing I wanted to, to because you're here, I want to reward you <laughs> with something really, really, really awesome to understand. And I think it's the most crucial and it's what sort of it's what sort of popped my whole reasoning for doing this podcast to begin with, so don't waste your time. But it's the, I would have to say, it has to be one of the most valuable things that I could share with you if you are in medals, competition, and dancing, but also just for life generally. And it is, do not reward yourself for every win. I'm going to say that again. Do not reward yourself for every win. In fact, pull back on your winning, right? Pull back on the celebration. Now, hear me out. There is uh, an episode I did in a different podcast on a different show that I run where I talked about the idea of flow psychology. Now, flow psychology is this research about why do we get into flow states? You know, those moments you've gotten into where you feel time evaporates and you just work amazingly and everything just happens and you're not hungry, you don't need to go to the toilet, there's no distractions, you're just going in it. That's flow. That's the word for it, right? Athletes call it being in the zone. But everybody experiences this. You could be gardening and just be there, you know. It could be called presence, but it's that feeling, you know. How do we do that? What is that? And that's what flow research is all about. Now, 
one of the world's leading uh, scientists in this, I'm on his email list and he's a friend of mine on Facebook and I sometimes message him. He gives me amazing resources, okay? Crazy resources too, like really outstanding science research going on. And I'm not really into science, but it's cool to just have a skim and pretend I know. <laughs> Anyways, so his name is Stephen Kotler and award-winning author too. So go check out his content. Very, very cool. But one of the interesting things was he sent me something and said, if you tell people about your goal and you keep telling people about your goal, you won't get to your goal. And what he was saying was, the more you tell people, the more you release dopamine. I was like, oh, this is interesting, right? I got this before I listened to this podcast, by the way. So think of this as like the initiating thing to, that blew up all my ideas about goals. I was like, wow, that explains why when I used to tell people I'm going to do this, I never did it, right? I'm going to write that book. Oh man, never wrote it because I declared it so much, you know? Now it doesn't mean you can't, like you got to take everything with a grain of salt and understand, okay, maybe you share it with a, and he did go on to say, share it with like a trusted advisor. So like a coach, you know, I'm a coach to many people. They can share it with me, but I wouldn't recommend like blasting it over the internet all the time because what you do, dopamine doesn't care. Dopamine just wants to feel good, man. It just wants to let, let that feeling out in your brain. So it doesn't matter if it comes from the crack cocaine or from you telling everybody about your goal all the time, you have just rewarded yourself as if you've achieved the goal. Oh, <gasps> I feel like I should drop a mic, but then I wouldn't be able to talk, all right? That is crazy. Think about that. That is so amazing because I was like, that explains why when I have declared so much what I'm going to do, I never did it because I did feel reward and I felt a loss of motivation and power to go and do the thing. How crazy is that? Now, you felt that too. Okay, so do you tell people? Well, yeah, eventually. See, it's better to act, and I'm a big proponent. I've a video on YouTube you can go check out about how I first started getting into seminars and speaking. And a sort of motto of mine is ready, fire, aim. And now this all makes sense as I'm talking to you about connecting up to why some things in my life have sort of sucked because I declared it too early and didn't do it and why some things have just crushed it. And I know the difference. One, I would just start doing the work, publishing it or putting it out there in space for people to watch you know, not like literal space, like the internet space, you know, where anyone can watch it. As petrifying as it was, the reward of doing the work almost outweighed the publishing, like, you know, and, and people viewing it. Now, if I told people I was going to do certain things, I often have a, I would say a much higher failure rate on those projects. Okay. And why? Well, because you've rewarded yourself prematurely. So the whole idea of not celebrating your wins and choosing the ones to celebrate really matters. Now, here's the thing. He didn't say don't ever celebrate them. He said that when you do it, you have to be aware of this baseline and how much you reward yourself. Because if you reward yourself too much, you're going to have a crash and then you'll be less motivated to want to do any more work again. I was like, that is how you sustain a good work week. Something I've unconsciously been doing, but now it makes sense. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to share this. But I've been a bit frightened because I'm not a neuroscience. I'm like, oh, I'm going to not talk about this very clearly and it's going to be so elementary. So please forgive me if it's not exactly perfectly right. But the point being, is it something we can all relate to? It's like, oh, that's why I felt like I'm on a, I'm not as motivated as the next guy. Maybe you have a, just a low baseline of dopamine. But, you know, if you go around telling everyone what you're going to do, what you're going to do, what you're going to do, you're actually getting the reward as if you've already done it because that's what your brain thinks, Okay. So now if you hold it back, have you ever noticed if you held something back, like it sort of feels good longer? It's like, you know, something's coming like that anticipation. 
dopamine, right? If you're like, you know a comp's coming and you're like, maybe you've been training more steadily, you're ready for it, you're there and you feel a bit more like higher, if you will, for longer, dopamine, you know, that feeling. And then if you do a comp and then this is a habit Ali and I had, uh, we would come home from a competition and we would train the next day all the time because we wanted to make sure that the high didn't run off because we didn't go too crazy about the results. And then we'd go back into the studio the next day, even if it was just flapping around and chatting, see variety, right? And that worked because then the rest of the week we would keep training or would maybe have Tuesday off instead of Monday because we'd be more likely to dance better on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Do you see what I mean? So, and, and the reason for that is it wasn't mindset. Okay. So mindset's important for sure. Your psychology. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, very important. Your mental health, hundred percent. But when we look at the, how we reward ourselves, and the and the the amount we reward ourselves and when we do actually has a huge influence neuroscientifically on the amount we release which therefore can also decrease our motivation if it's too much so if like and i'll give you another clear example of how this has worked for me um, because i know how it hasn't worked for me so one is building followings on the internet so i have different pages in different spaces i have some with over fifty thousand followers here or mastery with, you know, in the five figures on YouTube, five figures on Facebook. I've got a, a, a company where we have 600,000 on Facebook over here. And, uh, and so one of the things that, that I've noticed, I've definitely noticed this. If I was starting from scratch and I started celebrating every milestone, so first 10 followers, first 100 followers, first 1,000 followers, first 2,000 followers, first 5,000 followers, first 7,000, I'll tell you something, you actually lose the impetus to want to build your audience. It's really weird and counterintuitive because you think it'll build more. First of all, no one's really watching that stuff anyway. So it's more for you. You feel good. I should share it. Now, I've noticed that if you hold that back and you choose, okay, I'll celebrate the first 1,000 or first 100, but then I'll miss the 1,000. And then I'll celebrate 5,000 and then I'll miss the, maybe I'll go from 100 and I'll celebrate the 5,000th fan, or maybe I'll go from the thousandth and I'll celebrate the 10,000th, right? And I've done this in business and in, and in building audiences and it really works well because in your mind or definitely not your mind, your brain, you're actually maintaining that reward system to work for you instead of against you. Okay. And I've also noticed this when I'm seeking, if I've been seeking validation for something like, is this content good or is this thing I put out good or whatnot? The more I look for that engagement and likes and sharing, the worse I feel. Now, why? Ah, because I had the reward and I keep looking to get more rewards and I don't and I drop below my baseline and I'm like, oh, it's not good. And why do I do that? And then I stag stagnate out. So the less you seek that, the better off it is. So this is how you're going to produce more. You're going to dance more. You're going to be able to do life a little better. So a couple of things that I found also helped me personally to uh, keeping these levels, you know, relatively balanced because now I'm aware of it. It's crazy. I'm like, oh God, like that seventh shot of coffee today was really just to help boost my like cortisol and, you know, adrenaline and, and to help me get some more of that feel good hormone going like, and, and coffee actually isn't as bad. The caffeine from coffee apparently is one of the best ways to like have a good level of, there's like less neurotoxicity about caffeine and how it works with coffee. So that's a good thing apparently. But um, the point being is that it depleted because I was never going to get that. Well, you'd probably know this if you drink tea or coffee and maybe you have it in the morning. Have you ever had a tea at some point in the day where it's just hit you and gone, man, that was amazing. Okay, why? Why did it do that? Because of that dopamine being released, right? That feeling, yeah? 
So I've had that happen. And then it's like, you try and have another tea. It's nowhere near as good. Damn it. Because you've gone back down again and you're slowly going back. Maybe you're going down to that baseline or below. And so the next tea just doesn't do the same or next coffee or the next piece of chocolate. Right. And so that momentum if you understand what's happening, you need to intermittently space out how you are releasing or you know creating that dopamine in your brain. So maybe it isn't a tea every morning. Maybe you skip a morning. And if you do intermittent food fasting, here's a big thing. Your brain gets used to it. So if you say every 12 hours between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m., which I used to do, I can eat. Or 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. or 10 and 6 Either way, your body gets used to it, but so does your brain. So you don't get the same level of reward anymore. So what do you do? Well, you have the window, but you change the times. You see the difference? Because the variety makes you not get used to it. So the way you train, the way you compete, the way you interact with the world, you're always sort of getting these messages back saying, do more of that because it's pleasurable. So therefore, keep doing that, right? And then a little bit of pain coming with that as well as a byproduct. Um, and so that's important to note. And the more you're aware of this, the more you, you will understand the activities you're engaged in that are basically just to make you feel better, okay? It doesn't matter if it's something negative like serious drug abuse or medication or prescription abuse or too much alcohol or too much Netflix, okay? And then now you'll notice uh, if you've been watching too much TV, you start to realize it doesn't have the same effect. But if you take a break, like I did 40 days of Lent once with no TV or moving pictures or videos or anything. Honestly, hardest thing I've ever done. Harder than anything I've ever done in my life. Not even joking. It was so difficult. You don't know how addicted you are, my friend, until you stop listening and watching TV. And that included YouTube. It, if it was an ad on a window in a in a shop, I couldn't watch it, right? Nothing. You've got no idea how crazy that is. It's so hard to do. I swear to God, right? So you try that if you don't believe me. It's very, very difficult. So if you're used to watching TVs and movies every day, okay, which I was for many, many years, so and I still like to, but that's all dopamine, right? And then you get used to it. So like the same amount, like the next day doesn't work. But if you hold off, doesn't it feel better? Yeah, you might say it's the author in the, the video, maybe. But let's just say it's the, the feel-good hormones coming out, the feel-good uh, chemicals being released. So pay attention this week to what you're doing. Pay attention to what's working. Notice that, oh God, that's why having seven chocolate bars every day doesn't do anything anymore. And so stop that and swap it out. And pretty soon broccoli starts to taste good. And then you have one chocolate bar and it's like, bang, oh my God, that's like crack, okay? And then maybe you go on to, uh, to, to the gym and you vary up not going to the gym. You miss a day, okay? Because when you go back and you feel good, you go into gym, no music, no podcast, because now you get rewarded a different way, right? And so the next time you listen to it, you'll get that feeling again. So intermittent dopamine releasing or intermittent dopamine-ish, whatever you want to call it, is a good idea. Be aware of your patterns, what you do. It's helped me tremendously. It's why I hope it helps you. To me, this is hopefully one of my favorite podcasts I've done with you, because I believe if you become aware of that behavior and what you're doing, you start to notice how you're getting these sort of fixes, you'll be able to change it up and have a lot more quality in your life, a lot more control, a lot less ups and crazy downs, and you'll maintain that motivation, okay? So just to bring it in for a landing, base level of dopamine, you do things to make it rise up at certain percentage points, and then it drops back down below that. And so it's about not celebrating every single win so uh, you can maintain the motivation. That's really the key. Make sure that you plan ahead like that so you know with your partner, 
We're not going to celebrate. Even if we win first place at this championship, we're going to keep it cool, man. We're going to be like, nice, I won. And you're going to maintain that sort of level and hold on to it because it will last you and it won't deplete as quickly. This has been awesome having you. Let me know if you loved it. Send me an audio message and let's support the channel, support this. I really appreciate you and enjoy your next level of dopamine. Hey, if you're loving this, make sure you smash and dance all over that subscribe button and visit boroommastery.tv, boroommastery.tv for some free training, sign up for our courses. They are going to revolutionize the way you dance. They're going to help you so much with your posture, your technique, the way you move, your musicality, and all of those naggling problems to help free you to become the best dancer you can be. boroommastery.tv, let's do it.